Okay, so let's read Psalm. I'm, I'm going to read Psalm 139. We're going to read several verses, but I want to say two things before we jump into this. There's two things. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. There are two keys, as I share today, that we got to, we've, there's a lens and a key I want us to uh, look at today that'll help us understand this psalm. Number one is what I would say, how I said it last week, is number one, we've got to be willing to move past literalism in, into symbolism. When we read the scripture, we must be willing to move past literalism and into symbolism. Um, how, how many know that Jesus, when he taught, he taught in parables, right? How many's ever read parables of Jesus? Uh, Matthew 13, it will tell us that, that the writer Matthew says of Jesus, when he taught, many times he taught in parables, right? A parable is a story that's told that uses imagery to communicate a truth. Parables won't, Jesus won't directly tell you the truth, but he'll use images, he'll use seed, yeast, uh, whatever you fill in the blank to communicate a deeper truth. And I believe the reason Jesus does that is he enjoys the journey. He likes for us to follow with him, to join with him. He likes to join with us so he can, he can there's a journey. The Lord loves journey. So in other words, he'll tell us an image saying the kingdom is like yeast because he, he wants us to actually have a part in digging out that truth, right? Proverbs says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings, you and me, to find that which is concealed. Amen? So the Lord doesn't play hide and seek so we can't find it. He actually gives us something, a little bit of truth so that we will follow it up and say, I want to find you in the journey, right? That's the way the Lord works. He loves to share in life with us. He loves to share the journey with us. So the Lord speaks through parables. So that means that when we read scripture, we must have a willingness in our heart to look past literalism and into symbolism. Okay, how many know Jesus is the lion in the lamb, right? The, Isaiah says that in Jesus, this is the way I read it, in Jesus, the lion and the lamb will lay down together. That means the nature of Christ, he is both a lion and a lamb, right? The lion, the, the, the protector of his people, the one that's willing to tear anything apart that comes against you from knowing him, Right? But he's also the lamb who is meek and lowers himself to wash your feet. He is the lion and the lamb. We know that's not literal. Jesus is not literally a lion. He's not a feline cat, right? He's not a, lamb. He's not a literal lamb. Revelation says that the sword comes out of his mouth. Does anybody in this room think that Jesus is walking around with a big sword hanging out of his mouth? <laughs> of course not. It's symbolism. The sword is the word of God, the authority. When Jesus speaks, it cuts, right? It cuts to your inner man. It cuts through lies. It cuts through confusion. It cuts through fear. It is that sword that comes out of his mouth. The word is the authority of Jesus. When he speaks, things move, things shift, things are cut, lies are cut down, right? Amen? So it's all symbolism. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, you'll last about five minutes if you don't understand that revelation is symbolism. It's not literal. 
If you try to read Revelation through a literal lens, you'll be like, oh, my God, I'm, no, thank you. <laughs> like doom and gloom and beast coming out of the abyss and, and like, oh, no, thank you, right? But there's symbolism in there. It's trying to, John is using imagery to teach us a deeper truth. God loves the journey, right? So these things, I want to encourage us today to look past literalism and look into symbolism and what the story is trying to tell us. Number two is insert yourself into the narrative. Number one, look past literalism into symbolism. Number two, put yourself into the story. This has happened to me recently. Um, I taught on it a few weeks ago where John 13, it's teaching about Jesus washing feet. And I used to read it just literally to where, okay, Jesus is washing these guys' feet. There's about three characters it mentions, John, the beloved, Peter, and Judas, right? So the way I used to read it was, okay, John's the good guy. He's leaning on Jesus' chest. Peter is, you know, he's kind of got his stuff together, but not really because Jesus calls him out, and then Judas is really the bad guy, right? Like, he's the bad dude. He's the bad guy. He's the guy you don't want to be. And the Lord began to turn that story upside down in my heart, saying, listen, Robbie, look at that and insert yourself into the story. In other words, John 13 is me and what is going on on the inner part of who I am. That Jesus oftentimes comes to us to wash our feet, and one of the three things will usually manifest. Either we'll rest and we'll let him wash our feet, we'll lean on the chest of Jesus, or we'll be like Judas and we'll flee. We call it flight. In psychology, we call it flight, the fight or flight. We'll either run from the love of God, or we'll do number three, we'll be like Peter and we'll fight. We'll stick around and we're fighting against it, yet we're like there, but we're fighting against it, right? This is me. I oftentimes manifest one of the three. How many in this room can be honest and say, sometimes I'm, I'm resting on Jesus. I've got seasons where I'm like, oh, he's so good. I'm resting on him. And then other seasons, I'm running away from God because I think God is one way, than, one way different than he truly is. And then sometimes I'm sticking around fighting like, oh. And, 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 and what happens in Peter is what happens in me a lot of times. Is when Jesus confronts Judas, he leaves then Jesus begins to say, okay, now this is going to start happening. I'm going to be led to be crucified and, and, you know, whatever. He starts talking about what's going to happen. And then Peter says, oh, but I will follow you. That's the religious spirit. In other words, Peter is like, I'll never be like Judas. I'll never leave you. I will follow you. Jesus sees that religious spirit that can often be in us to where we're like the Pharisees, I would never sin like that. Right? I know none of y'all have ever dealt with this. This is just me, okay? I would never be like Judas. Jesus goes, actually, you'll deny me three times. He calls out that religious spirit, which actually sometimes is in our heart. And he's calling me to the floor in his love. And he, John 13 is actually what is, is the human race, the unfolding of the human race of what will you do when you're confronted with the love of God? Will you let him wash your feet? Will you fight or will you flight? And he's coming to us saying, this story is about you and me. We're going to settle this issue once and for all. 
That's what he's doing in this. And, and so I want us to look through those two, uh, those two lenses. Number one, look past literalism into symbolism. Number two, insert yourself into the story, okay? I got a lot to say today, so listen good, okay? Look at your neighbor say, listen good. Engage your heart, engage your mind. I don't know how far we're going to get with this, uh, but we'll get as far as we can uh, trying to respect your time. But if you need to leave, uh, feel free to leave, okay? I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't say that with a, a slice or a cut. I really don't. If you need to leave, I understand. I bless you. I've got some things to share today that's on my heart, and I'm just going to be real. I'm just going to be me, okay? So would you all extend grace to me? Say, Robbie, be you. And I'll extend grace to you. You be you. And if you being you means you have to leave and go home, hey, that's cool. I love you. Right? So, but I got some things to say today, and I think they'll encourage us. Okay? All right. It's interesting. Okay, go on. All right. All right so we're going to read uh, Psalm 139. It's going to be on the screens. I'm going to be in the Passion Translation. So here we go. We're going to read about 18 verses. Yeah, verse 1. This is David. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul, and you understand my every thought. Everybody say thought. Before it even enters my mind. Verse 3. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. You know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You're, you've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful. David's like, man, this is amazing. Just too wonderful, deep, and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me, your thoughts, your mind, brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, Lord, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly to the, into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, somebody say, wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It is impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me, for your presence is everywhere. Bringing light into my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There's no difference between the two. You formed my innermost being. You shaped my delicate inside and my intricate outside and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. How many ever feel like a complex individual? <laughs> Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. Y'all see a pattern here, the thoughts, the, the mind of the Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Oh, my gosh. Before I'd even seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment, watch this, you are thinking of me. Are you kidding me? 
How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. Wow, you're still with me. In Psalm 139, this psalm, David pours out his heart concerning God's thoughts, his care. Are we we there? We there? We good? Okay. It may be me shortening out. I'm going to put this on my belt here. David pours out his heart. Hello, hello. Are we? Okay, we're good. An intimate acquaintance with him. To me, there's no better psalm than this psalm declaring the nature of the Father's goodness, his care, and his intimate involvement. This is why David says, where I go, you're there. Where can I hide? If I go high, if I go low, if I go east, if I go west, you're there. David is aware of this. David is picking up on the thoughts of the Lord, on the thoughts of the Father. He knows that God is everywhere. God is in everything. I think it's funny that sometimes we, when we have a good church service, we say, man, God showed up. (laughs) As if God left one place to come here. But David proves that to be not true, that God is everywhere. And what happens is when we have a good service is we actually awaken to what is already true. And God showed up. And God showed up today. I'm sure God's like... I appreciate, you know, what you're saying, but let's, let's tweak that. I'm actually already there. I'm just going to open your eyes to me already being there. Right? That's what this really is all about is he's living in you. We just don't know it sometimes because things on the outside are telling us otherwise. Culture is trying to tell us that he doesn't live in us, that we're not made in his image. They're trying to tell us who we're not when he's trying to tell us who we are. Right? And so that's what this, I'm going to really hit at the heart of today. From day, I'm going to read some notes, so I'm a better, I've told you, I'm a better writer than speaker, so I'm just going to read some stuff I've said, I've written. From David's awareness of Abba's intimate knowledge of him, David cries out in a few verses later, and he says this, search me and know my thoughts. Likewise, we need Holy Spirit to search us and to teach us his thoughts. We need the Spirit of the living God to uproot any thought that does not line up with his thoughts. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal the mind of Jesus. Psalm 139, it's a prayer that mirrors the inner life of the believer. What are we doing? We're moving past literalism into symbolism. And if that be true, then Psalm 139 is actually a playing out of our heart's cry, of what our heart knows to be true. It doesn't mean that we always believe it. It doesn't mean that we always believe what David is saying here. But it truly is the heart's cry that, God, you know, your thoughts towards me are more innumerable innumerable than the sands of the sea. I believe scripture is screaming this to us, guys. I believe this scripture is screaming this to us. But because of literalism, we have been robbed of the freedom of seeing ourselves in this story. 
We've reserved it. Well, that's David. Well, that's a man after God's own heart. That's David. Of course he's going to have beautiful songs like this because he was David. When actually I'm like David. I am like David. Have you ever noticed, how many ever read a psalm before where David is like killing it? Like, God, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden he takes a left turn and he's like, oh, God, my enemies are surrounding me. <laughs> like, either, either, either David is literally bipolar, literally, or it's a symbolism of you and me. How many's ever been in a season? Oh, God, you're my light and my salvation. Sunday morning, that was a great, God showed up. <laughs> and then Monday, we're like, oh, my God. The government and the economy and this. And news, and Fox News said this. CNN said this. Oh, my gosh. And we slump. Right? How many's ever felt like that before? You're killing it, then you're on the bottom. You feel like you're on the bottom. This is you and me. This is us in this story. Guys, beloved, insert yourself into every narrative of every story in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is profitable for reproof, rebuke, and correction, that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, all scripture is applicable. And I'm going to show you here in a minute that what we, thought, what, what we thought and have taught that David was a warrior killing people and asking God to kill people was not him actually literally killing people. It was actually the cry for, da- for God from David's heart to uproot any wicked thought that he had about him. Here's another key. I gave you two on the front end. Number three, God does not kill people. Got quiet there. God does not kill people, nor does he teach and tell other people to kill people. That's not the Abba revealed in Jesus. Mm. See, we've allowed some things in our heart that we thought about God. Because we believe those things to be true, we live them out in everyday life. So we promote killing of other people in whatever name. I'm not even going to go there. You fill in the blank. Because if God would allow it, then sure, why not me? God's, God's, sacrifice, God's killing that sacred cow in this hour. He is revealing. It's an Abba awakening, baby. I wore my shirt today. It says Abba awakening. Superman's got his, you know, his S. I've got Abba. This is my power. Abba. So you don't need to buy this shirt. And when the enemy starts talking to you about who you're not, Abba. To save the day. Well, you're not, you're not, you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, you're not. Abba! Right? Let him speak. Let him speak the louder word. Abba! This is my superpower, man. Looks good on me, doesn't it, Misty? She told me this morning, she said, You look good. I said, I know I do. I'm anointed with good looks, man. We are like David. It said that David was better looking than all of his brothers. Somebody say, you're better looking than your brothers and your sisters. Poor Ryan. 
Ryan's, uh, he's pretty sharp, man. He's GQ. He's like the poster child of, you'll find Ryan's pictures everywhere around here. He's beautiful. I mean, he's gorgeous. Look at this guy. There is a spirit of jealousy on me right now. <laughs> we are like David's brothers. His jealousy was eating them up. <laughs> Insert yourself into the story. You guys following me there? Yeah. Put yourself in the story. All scripture is applicable. I'm like Judas sometimes. I'm like Peter. I'm like John. I'm like John the Beloved sometimes. Maybe sometimes. Man, y'all seeing this? So, so throughout these 24 verses, let's get back to Psalm 139. Throughout these 24 verses, David acknowledges the intimate, caring heart of the Father. Man, this gets me. To see, to search, and to know him. David is, is writing about Abba's desire to search, to know. This has always been and will always be the heart of Abba Father is to know you. Beloved, if we can't settle that issue, if we can't settle that issue that it is Abba's Father, the Abba revealed in Jesus is to come to you, to know you, to search you and to, to give you his mind, to let you see you as he sees you, to know you as he knows you. Before Adam, before the fall, he knew you. You were in his image. This is what he's coming to do in this hour. He's coming to restore the innocence of the human heart. That we, by way of circumstances and hemartia, sin, have bought into the lie that you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. But Jesus came saying, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. And because I am, you are. You're just like me. I'm just like you. I didn't just come to die for you. I came to die as you and to show you what is available in the heart of the Father for you and for me. We gotta stop this nonsense of, well, that's Jesus and I'm over here. That's nonsense. If John taught us anything in the Gospels, he taught us there is no separation between you and the Father. God Almighty, I didn't plan on going here, but I, somebody's gotta hear that. Some of you have said, well, that's Jesus and I'm over here or that's that preacher and I'm over here or that's that intercessor, that really holy person over here and I'm over here, beloved, I'm telling you, he, he took the human race and he brought the whole human race into himself. There is no separation. That is a lie, beloved. The darkness of John 1 is the lie that you're separate from the Father and that you've got to do something in order to build a bridge to bridge that separation. That's a lie. That is a lie. I don't care how much faith you got. I don't care how many prayers you say. You will never bridge that gap between you and the Father because it doesn't even exist. There is no bridge. 
It's just beloved. That's a new t-shirt. There is no bridge. It's just beloved. Because when we think that there's a separation, we create systems called church to try to build that bridge back to what we think that we're separate from. That was the Pharisaical religion was there's a separation and we've got to do, 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 do in order to build that bridge to get back to God. When Jesus comes to say, you know what, in that day you'll know that I'm in my Father, my Father's in me, and we're in you. We're moving into the human race. That was the cross. The cross was the way into the mind of the human race. You know where Jesus was crucified? It's called Golgotha. And the Bible tells us Golgotha is called the place of the skull. It's the place of the mind. The cross was the way into the mind of the human race because you thought you were separated from God. You thought you were something other than that man that hangs on the cross. But I'm coming to show you who you are. You're in me. I'm in you. We're just alike. You've always been in my image, and I'm coming to restore the image. You thought hamartia. You thought you were without form, but I'm coming as righteousness with form to show you that just like me, you're not separated from the Father. I'm coming to get into your mind. I'm going to stake the claim in the, the place of the skull, and I'm going to tell you something different than who you think you are. Come on, somebody. Y'all hearing me this morning? I'm telling you what, what he's doing in this hour is he's changing the mindset of a generation. This was David. What made David great? What made David a man after God's own heart was he knew the mind of the Lord. David is picking up on the mind of the Lord in Psalm 139. You guys just read it. How many times does he say God's thoughts, God's desires, God's mind? God thinks about. God, what's God thinking about? He's thinking about me more than the sands of the sea. Has anybody ever in this room tried to count sand on the sea? Good luck, right? That's how much he thinks about you. He loves you. He's infatuated with you. He's head over heels in love with you. Always have been. Jesus didn't talk the Father into loving you. God sent his son to talk you into how much he really loves you. Because we didn't believe it. We didn't think it was true. We thought we had to keep all the, law, the, the jots and the tittles and all that stuff, and we thought we had to do all these things in order to get his approval. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. I'm coming to change the mind of a generation, and he's still doing it. He's doing it in me. He's taking me to John 13. He says, Robbie, sit still long enough, and I'll begin, to, I'll, begin to have, I'll begin to do surgery on your heart. What you thought was to be true about me, I'm coming to wash your feet of that junk, and I'm coming to show you who you are in me. As you are, so am I in this world. Oh, come on, man. This thing is hitting me at a, a, a physical, molecular level. And for the last two years, Dennis, I have been in what one guy would call an unraveling of my thoughts about him. He's coming to me time and time again saying, Robbie, you thought I was one way and you wondered why you act that way, but I'm coming to show you who I really am. I want to mark this generation with the mind of the Lord. This is what David picked upon. David picked upon the mind of the Lord, and he starts writing about it. What made David a man after God's own heart? A Hebraic reading, a Hebraic person reading the scriptures will always understand that the heart and the mind are actually one thing. Now, in the Western world, we think heart is what we feel. And mind is what we know, intellect, experience, right? We separate those. 
the darkness of separation. They're actually one reality. So in other words, you could say David was a man after God's own mind. He picked up on the thoughts in the mind of the Lord. And David, I'm going to show you here in a minute, David's, if David was a warrior, he was warring against anything that hindered the knowledge of God. Goliath, Golgotha, Goliath, Golgotha. Maybe that's why David's big battle was Goliath, because he was coming to cut the head off of anything that doesn't think like him. Jake, can I start prophesying over you right now? You're going to start writing songs about this, and it's going to, ch- it's going to shake a whole state. It's going to move out into the nations. God's going to use your song to shake a nation free of wrong mind- mindsets about the Father. So can we bless Jake in that today? We bless Jake today to write songs to be free. Jake, be free. Write your songs. They sound different. They look different. They, 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 some people won't understand your song, but not everybody understood David. But David had three, 300 mighty men that they could take down whole cities that thought different about the Father, not through their hands. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle in the spirit. We wrestle, we wrestle against anything that, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And that's you. You're a warrior in the sense that you're going to begin to break mindsets off of people. And revival is going to break out through your song. In Jesus' name. Can I, can I go ahead? Can we go ahead and just prophesy over this house as well? That what Jake carries is actually being released into this atmosphere. Ryan's going to write songs. Stephanie's going to write songs. Gary's going to write songs. Amanda, everybody included. Even if, you're not a, even if you don't play an instrument, you still have a song. You're going to write blogs. You're going to paint pictures. You're going to communicate the gospel in ways that people have never even thought of before. And God's going to release revival through you. Brooklyn, you're going to, you're going to be serving at the restaurant, and God's going to use you to speak kindness over someone who didn't know they were so loved. And there's, there's many of you in this room. God's going to use your song. And just because you don't have an instrument doesn't mean you can't sing. Oh, I see Jesus conducting a song in this hour. We are the David generation. Man, thank you, Holy Spirit. David's writing about this. Up to verse 18. However, watch this. David picks up on another frequency as he's writing this song. He picks up on another frequency, a frequency that's trying to hinder David from having the mind of whom he's praying to. Look at verse 19. Rekai, can we throw that up there? Verse 19. How many love the 18 verses? We just read a minute ago. God's thinking about us. God loves us. You know, we, hear this, we can almost imagine David is writing this beautiful song. Then all of a sudden, something shifts. It's almost like something happens here. But I'm, I'm going to show you something real quick. 
David's singing this beautiful song, and then all of a sudden, woo, left turn, and he changes the subject if you don't have eyes of the Spirit. But watch this. So verse 18, all about the mind of the Lord. Beautiful. Verse 19, oh God. <laughs> How many ever prayed this before? <laughs> Over your coworker. <laughs> oh God, come and slay these bloodthirsty, murderous men. Thoughts of the Lord. Oh, God, come and slay these bloodthirsty. I told you David's a little bit bipolar, right? <laughs> these bloodthirsty, murderous men. For I cry out, depart from me, you wicked ones. What in the world just happened to David? See how they blaspheme your sacred name and lift up themselves against you, but all in vain. What in the world just happened to David? Look, look, Lord, can't you see how I despise them? Despise those who despise you? For I grieve when I see them rise up against you. Did y'all notice that shift? David goes from singing this beautiful song, what we would call a beautiful song, then he starts talking about wicked men. If you you read this literally, it'll confuse you. But if you see the symbolism in a deeper mystery with the eyes of the Spirit, then you'll see something that's going on. Let me explain. We know it's not the nature of Abba revealed in Jesus to kill people. How many can say amen? Amen. I would love to hear a huge amen when I said that. We know it's not the the nature of Abba revealed in Jesus to kill people. Mm, Man, that's good. Let's just go home. We're done. Okay. (laughs) Which is why I believe David is speaking of wicked, twisted thoughts, not literal human beings. The context, the whole context of Psalm 139 is the God's thoughts over him. Right? That's the context. When you read scripture, you need to read it, symbolism, and also in context. The context is God's thoughts over him and David's thoughts about God. In other words, men, when when David says men, it's metaphoric. It's, it's, an, it's imagery. It's representing our thoughts concerning the Father. David's writing about the mind of the Lord, beautiful thoughts, innumerable as the sands of the sea, shifts gears and starts saying, God, slay these wicked, these wicked men. I don't think David is wanting to literally kill a slew of men. I believe he's speaking an imagery. I believe he's speaking a mystery, a deeper truth that God would search and uproot and slay any toxic thoughts in our heart concerning his nature. Not that he would literally kill people. David's talking about a mystery. Look at verse 19 and 20 again. David said, see how they blaspheme your sacred name and lift up themselves against you. This is the unredeemed mind, but all in vain. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 in the NASB. It's on the screen. Again, you don't have to go there if you don't have NASB. David is a symbol of, First of all, of who? Jesus, right? 17 times in the New Testament, Jesus is called the son of David. Because Jesus, 
Jesus, uh, David was a shepherd, so was Jesus. David was born in Bethlehem, so was Jesus. David was a psalmist, so was Jesus. David was a king, so is Jesus. Right? So this is an image of Jesus. In fact, I had this thought the other day. I wonder if Jesus prayed this way. I wonder if Jesus' prayer life sounded like Psalm 139. What have I said before? I think the key of Jesus' life was he knew that Abba Father was fascinated with him. And maybe Jesus' prayer sounded a lot like David's. God, would you come and slay any thoughts that's coming against who you truly are? Y'all remember Jesus? He was born into one of the most wicked times in human history. Roman oppression, all of these things going on. And can you imagine the noise that Jesus had had to venture through in order to actually have a true view of who Abba Father truly was? Huh? Y'all with me? Are you hearing that? I wonder if this is what what it sounds like when Jesus prays. David's picking up on another frequency. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 10 verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. God's not killing people. (laughs) But divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every, say it with me, thought captive to the obedience of Christ. (laughs) There are two words that David uses in Psalm 139 that Paul uses in this this passage here. One is, uh, is vain, vain imaginations, Things that your mind makes up that's not true. How many in this room can say that my mind sometimes gets away from me and I start imagining things that aren't even true? How many can be honest and say that? Right? Your mind is a powerful tool. Your heart and mind are a powerful tool. You imagine things that aren't even going on. I mean, the other day, the, the, the enemy had me convinced that someone did not like me. And I, I mulled on that for like an hour. And at the end of that, toward the end of that time, before I got free, I was so bitter at that person. <laughs> How many's ever been there? I mean, I, I'm like, I started waging war. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to confront them. And it started getting really petty, like they didn't shake your hand last time they saw you. I had the bottle in my mouth with the bib. They didn't talk to you. They didn't shake your hand. Uh, and the enemy is, is creating an illusion. He is the father of lies. But there's a David generation who says, we're going to destroy every speculation that rises up against of who he truly is, of how he truly sees you. <laughs> and you're going to write songs about it. And you're going to write songs about it. If you change the mind of a generation, you'll change a whole nation. Imagination. I heard one guy say, I'm borrowing that from a guy. If you change the imagination, you'll change a nation. Are y'all with me this morning? 
I'm having fun. I don't know if you are, but I'm having a good time. David prays for God to dismantle any toxic thoughts while Paul speaks of demolishing, tearing down, and destroying such thoughts. While David prays for slaying of wicked men, Paul goes on to, to speak of putting on the new man. You see that? David says, slay the wicked men. Paul says, put on the new man. Do you know what happens from David's time, from Old Testament to New Testament, is that instead of you praying for God to do something, he actually comes New Testament and lives in you and says, let's do it together. Instead of you asking me to do something independent of your participation, I'll actually, let's do this together. Let's do this together. Let's slay any thought that does not line up with how Abba Father sees you. A lot of ring in here. We're going to be fixing that soon. Okay, so look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Rekiah, throw this up. I'm almost done. We'll have to finish this next time. I've got a lot more to say, but I won't. Don't shout me down. <laughs> I can tell you are done. Okay. <laughs> you always want to hear that person say, come on, keep going. And it's usually Becky Atwood. And Becky's in the back row today. So, Mom, you got to speak up a little louder. I can't hear you. You're not right here. Keep on, Robbie. You're awesome. How many love moms who see the best in you, right? I killed it today. I was awful. That was awful. Oh, Robbie, you did amazing. Spirit of lying is on my mom. I don't know how I'm going to land this plane today, Ryan. I don't know. <laughs> It's crashing into the ground. Did y'all see Robbie crash the plane today? Did y'all see that? That's all you'll remember from today's message. God doesn't kill people, but Robbie sure kills a crowd. <laughs> Robbie sure kills the moment. Let's stand. I, I want to end on that. <laughs> Because I want to pray something over us. I, I wanted to get to this at the end, so I'm going to fast forward. We'll hit some more of this stuff. Uh, not next week. Ryan Hall will be here, but maybe the next week. We'll see. Okay, so let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. I want to pray this today. Rekai, can you put this up? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Here's what I want to say. I want to sum up everything I've said today. Is what I think Psalm 139 is telling us is that there's something available. There's a, there's, a, there's a realm of thinking, of consciousness, higher consciousness available to you and me, and it is the mind of the Lord. It says in Isaiah 22, 22, you guys have heard this verse. It says that on, it says that I'm going to put the key of David on the shoulder of my priest. You know, it's a, that's a very paraphrased version. Phil Wynn spoke about this and, and actually said, uh, he said, this is the year of Isaiah twenty two twenty two. And the verse says something like, I'm going to put the key of David on his shoulder. And now, now, key of David, many of you probably heard me say this before. I always thought the key of David was, was worship, prayer, like intimacy, those things. Because David was a, a worshiper. He was an, a musician, right? He did all those things. He raised up the tabernacle of David. But this morning, he said something very interesting to me. He asked me a question. I'm, I'm sitting, I'm reading my notes from today, and this hit me today. He said, Robbie, 
do you want to know what the key of David is? I said, he usually does that with me. He asks me questions. I said, sure. He said, what goes on top of the shoulders? I said, the head. He goes, it's the mind. It's the mind of the Lord. That's the key of David. It's the mind of the Lord. (laughs) Then he said, prayer, intimacy, worship is the way to get the key, which is the mind of the Lord. Gary Anna said it earlier. She was hitting on it, getting the mind of the Lord. The key of David is the mind of the Lord. There's people in this room who's going to begin to prophesy the mind of the Lord over cities, over regions. Jake, you have a regional, statewide influence. Some of y'all have a smaller influence, and there's no shame. There's no, it doesn't, you know, be faithful to where you are. Misty Atwood has an influence with a group of children. She teaches at school. She's a specialist, a reading specialist. And she'll, she'll go and get kids that can't read as good as the others. And her, her work is a mission field. And God is speaking through her. He's singing through her. And there are kids that are hearing things about them, the mind of the Lord, that they would have never heard in other churches. She's prophesying. It hit me the other day. I said, Misty, that is Jesus. That's the mind of the Lord. All of you have an influence somewhere, some way to bring the mind of the Lord. That is the key of David. So let me pray this over us, and then we'll pray Ephesians 1. Just lift your hands with me. If you're like David in Psalm 139, search me and know me. Would you pray that with me? Father, search me and know me. Know my thoughts, right? Know my thoughts. And Father, I thank you this morning that right now, the Spirit of God is searching to and fro throughout the earth. We are the earth. He's searching throughout me. He's searching throughout you, looking for a heart that's undivided. A heart that is willing to say, Father, come and slay any thoughts that exalt itself against who you truly are. And I pray for the mind of the Lord in every person. I thank you that you would begin to give us practical keys to access the mind of the Lord in every situation. I thank you for those who are called to the marketplace, those who are called to the arts, to the media, to education. I thank you that the mind of the Lord is breaking through those places, through your people. And I thank you right now for a young generation to be baptized with the mind of the Lord. I prophesy this is a Davidic generation. This is a Davidic generation. That we're cutting the head off of anything that exalts itself against who Abba Father truly is. Right? So I speak to you. I speak to you, beloved, to rise up in boldness. I speak to you right now to activate the gifts and the callings on your life. That you have been misunderstood, that you have been downplayed, but God says, I see what I've put in you, and I'm going to begin to work in that thing that I've put in your hand. 
And I feel like he's saying two things this morning. Be faithful and be fascinated. Can you receive that this morning? Be faithful to what I've called you to do. And while you're doing it, be fascinated with the way I'm fascinated over you. So we receive that right now. We pray Ephesians 1.17. You can open your eyes and pray this with me. Let's pray it together. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. Verse 18, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.